Okay, good morning, Boker Tov, Shavua Tov. It's a beautiful week. It's wonderful to continue to be in person, growing by the week. It's great to see everybody, to learn together. is a whole new uh, thing to be in person. I want to thank our generous Parsha sponsors for the year, for the Parsha Perspectives, our dear friends, Becky and Avi Katz, and family in loving memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, with the Nishmas, David Ben, Menachem Manush. Also, this morning, Shir is sponsored by Tzipora and Mandy Fishman on the wedding today of their son, Leibi to Sarah Laframowitz. The wedding is this evening in New Jersey. Please, God, hope to run out of here and get there in time. Big mazel tov to them. They should have a lot of simcha. Thank you for sponsoring. What a beautiful idea to honor a simcha by sponsoring the learning of Torah. We are learning Parshas Lech Lecha, page 54 in the Art Scroll Stone, Chumash, this morning. I forgot to record. This morning we are introduced to Avram Avinu. Special welcome to my sister Daniela, who's here from Israel. It's great to have you here in person, Daniela. Avram Avinu, we are introduced. Now the truth is we pick up in the middle of his story. This is not the beginning of Avram's life. Avram has already endured. He has already very tenaciously surpassed several tests. And yet this is the point of departure. This is the point in which we pick up the story. We're not going to get into it right now, but clearly the Torah feels that this is the relevant part. The earlier part that is in the Medrash is not explicit in the Torah. It's only through rabbinic tradition. It is only at this point in Avram's life. It's only at this time on his journey. It's only in this conversation he's about to have with the Almighty that we begin to be introduced to him. And Hashem says to him, Lech Lecha. Now, previously in Parashish, last week, about 80% of the Parashish year was on the first Pasuk. I heard about that all week long. So we're going to try to get a little bit uh, past that this week. So previous Parashish year, you can find them all online at yutorah.org or rabbiaframgoldberg.org. You can find uh, many of our previous Parashish year. And there we elaborated and there we went into depth. And what does it mean, Lech Lecha? Where was God sending him? It's the most bizarre journey of all time. It has no destination. Hashem gives him no coordinates. He doesn't give him an address. He doesn't tell him where they'll be landing. He says, board the plane, and I'm sending you, and let's see whether you are really committed to me. Are you devoted to me? Do you trust me? Do you believe in me? Let's see whether you board this plane where you have absolutely no idea where in the world it is going. And Avram, in fact, does. Now, is that much of a, is that fulfilling much of a test? He's told, I'm make you a great nation. You're going to be a great name. You're going to be filled with blessing. So he tells them, I'm not sending you on some journey where you're going to be a no name. You're going to be invisible. You're going to struggle to survive. I'm sending you on a journey in which you will be, you will be, uh, your reputation will precede you. You will be well known. You will amass great wealth. You will be able to wield great influence. And Avram engages this test. So Lech Lecha, previously we studied the most moving idea to me comes from Slonim Rebbe, and the Shalom Zatzal, Shalom Barzovsky, where he elaborates and says the Lech Lecha, the test of Lech Lecha is to go, where is the destination? There are no coordinates, it's not an address. The Lech, go where? Lecha. The hardest journey of all is the journey of self-discovery. For us not to simply be the composite or result of everything around us. Don't dress, don't look, don't listen to the music of, don't speak and use the slang in the vernacular. Don't simply be the composite of everyone and everything around you. Be an independent thinker. Don't be too independent, too independent of a thinker. We have something called Mesorah. We have something called Halacha. We are bound by a Jewish tradition. We are bound by a Torah lifestyle. We can't be too independent. Halacha guides us. It creates the boundaries for us. But within 
the halachic system. And within the Shivan Pana with the 70 faces of Torah, Lech Lecha. Go discover who you want to be and who you think you can be. Shalashunas, this past week, my father was sitting next to my son, a beautiful intergenerational Shalashunas. We were talking today, we we're talking about the diversity of the shul, Ashkenazim and Sephardim and, and uh, all tarps of the shul. And my father asked my son, What is your father? And my son turned to him and said, My father thinks he's a chassid. I thought that was pretty funny. I said, he's right. I am a chassid. And I'm also a misnagid. And I'm also a orthodox And I'm also this and I'm also that. I'm part of the Shah HaKola. Lech lecha. Go discover who you are. Go on that journey. How do you arrive at that destination? The journey of lecha. How do you get to where you're going? So you have to rise above. That's what the Torah tells us. Me'artzacha, umimoladetcha, umibesavicha. You have to be able to transcend. You have to rise above the influences around you. So many people are simply the result of everything around them. They bow to peer pressure and they fold. They become the composite of everyone around them. And that's what Hashem is testing Avram. And he says, Avram, you're living in a morally corrupt and decadent and lost society. Are you going to start watching the things because pop culture tells you this is what's appropriate to watch? Are you going to use this language because this has become an acceptable mode and modicum of conversation? Are you going to begin to dress this way or adopt these behaviors because the world around you, society around you, thinks that these are normal slogans and marketing to have on billboards on 95 that children drive up and down? Transcend, rise above. Take a moment to think about who you are, who you're meant to be. Discover your mission in this world and go fulfill this purpose. And the Salam Rebbe in this section, again, we've covered this before, so we are moving on. The Salam Rebbe says... That's the way of the concept called avodazara. Avodazara, which translates to idolatry. Avodazara, idolatry. So we think of someone who's bowing down to an idol. We all know that story of Avram in the Medrash that precedes what we're introduced to here in the Torah itself. His father has this great workshop of idols. And his father goes out to lunch and he smashes the idols, puts the hammer in the biggest idol. And his father comes home and says, what happened? And he says, what do you mean? The big idol did it, not me. And he says, Avram, little Avram Allah. That's ridiculous. It's a stone. It's a statue. You can't destroy the little ones. And little Avram looks up at his father and he says, exactly. If it can't even destroy the little ones, what are you doing bowing down to it? And he understood that. He intuited that. That made sense to him. He rose above the pressures of the society around him to a journey of self-discovery to find out and to figure out what he believed and who he was. So says Islam Rebbe, you know what Avoda Zara is? Avoda, which is Zara. In Avoda, if you dedicate your life and you think you're on a mission, which is Zara, it's strange and it's foreign to you. You're trying to compete or you're trying to be someone or something else. You see the way someone else lives, how they dress. You see their mission. You see the impact that they're, and you're trying to be them. That's Avoda Zara. Trying to be something you're not. Trying to compete or compare. Trying to follow a foreign influence. Avoda, which is Zara to you. Lech Lecha. So we begin with the Nam Alimach, the Heilige Nam, the Melech, the Melech of Lezhinsk. Some of you went on the Poland trip several summers ago. We were in Lezhinsk, and we had what was one of the greatest tishas of all time, not on a Shabbos, in the base medrash of the Heilige of Elimelech of Lezhinsk, opposite his kever, the great Nam Elimelech. So he says the following. He says the following, and I continue to draw from, this week we're going to draw very heavily from this new Chumash I told you I got, which is the Mikros Gedolas Hapardes, Pshat, Remes, Drash, and Sod. And it has a lot of, since I think I'm a chassid, I have to learn this chumash because that has a lot of the, I am a chassid, has a lot of the chassidish teaching. So he says the following, I thought this is very powerful. A person has to serve Hashem on three levels. The journey of self-definition, 
to determine and define who we are and who we're meant to be. We're not simply the bumper sticker that our parents put on the back of their car when we were growing up. Although, of course, our parents have a big influence and should. My daughter from Israel is also here. I welcome her. Your parents should have a big influence on who you are. You should listen to them. and You should follow them, even as you're discovering and you're in the journey to figure out who you are. So there are three levels. Number one, says the Nomali Melech, we are physical beings, we live in the physical world, and we are drawn to physical pleasures. So, many of us, not all of us, love food. We're foodies, we love food. We love the texture, and we love the flavor, and we love the aroma, and we love the diversification of the foods that we eat. We love the crunch, or we love the squish, or we love the... We're drawn to different things, as you know by now. For some reason, on Shabbat Shuvah, I chose that half my drasha would be about... First of all, very few emails that said great Torah or I changed my life. I probably received two dozen emails either endorsing my endorsement of Cape Cod potato chips or of Trader Joe's corn chips. So I'm glad that people got out of the Shabbat Shuba Drusha, the most important parts. And I hope I get a commission from Cape Cod and from Trader Joe's. So some of us, are, I, I've come to conclude, why do I love the crunch? There's something about that crunch. There's something about that crunch. I can have a delicious salad for lunch, I need a rice cake or corn cake. I need the crunch. We're drawn to achila and shtia. People love to eat some for some in a very unhealthy and damaging way and self-sabotaging way. We love to eat as a way that we comfort or escape or numb ourselves. Eating is a form of addiction. One of the anonymous recovery programs is Overeaters Anonymous. So it says the Norman Limelech, achila shtia. We're drawn to eat as physical beings. We're drawn to the act and the pleasure and the satisfaction and the fulfillment of eating. And that is the message, the first lech lecha, me'artzacha. Artzacha is aretz, is eretz, is the material, physical world. Transcend the physical world. Eat to live, don't live to eat. Use food as a way to connect with others and to bring joy to others and to host others. Use food as a way to enjoy family time. Use food for fulfillment of much more meaningful things than in very unhealthy things. Says the Nama that's number one. Ha'elohim, foreign gods in Gematria, the numerical value is Hateva, nature, natural. So the first level of what we need to transcend is being physical beings. Now you can't transcend it. I got a newsflash for you. Everyone's got to break the fast after Yom Kippur. Nobody reaches that level of Ne'ilah and says, Psh, this is unbelievable. I haven't had anything to eat or drink. I don't wear leather shoes or annoyed. I don't need any pleasures. I am an angel and I'm going to keep this going. Why do I need to break the fast? I'm just going to keep this going. So maybe you do a little bit. I was just reading about Rabbi Lichtenstein's Zetzal, who it took a little while after the fast before he ate or drank because he did. He felt like an angel. Most of us, we really didn't leave this world too long. We're pretending, we're trying, we're imitating being angels. But the truly righteous who actually left this world to be angels for 25 hours you know, re-entry is not easy. You don't just come right back in. So people like Rabbi Lutzen Zatzal, he didn't eat for a couple hours after Yom Kippur because he was still trying to transition back to this world. But for most of us, we're already eating by the middle of Mincha. In our head, we know what the breakfast is. We've already made the plate. We can already smell the coffee. Is it the iced coffee, which is really just another way of saying milkshake? Or is it a real proper coffee, which is just a black coffee and a nice good mug? So we're already sipping it. We're smelling it. We're already right We're already right in there. We're already right in there. So the first me'artzacha is to rise above that physical definition. But you can't. We need to eat. But we need to have it in the right definition. In Elul, we had a four-part series about eat, sleep, 
move and breathe. I gave the one on eating. You could listen. It's online. You could watch it on YouTube. And we talked about the Torah Hashkaf of eating. We have to eat. And Hashem wants us to enjoy eating. Eating is a beautiful thing. As we said, it does bring happiness and it connects us. We have a mitzvah to eat at every ceremony and ritual and life cycle event, at every yantav and at every Shabbos. Eating is not just mundane. Eating is not neutral or parav. Eating is a value and a virtue. We believe in eating. There's a this mitzvah. Eating is something beautiful. But we have to have it in the right context of the right hashkafa. And that's the first level of transcendence. The first madriga, the first level we're trying to rise above is me'artzacha. Control your eating, don't let it control you. Eat to live, don't live to eat. That's number one. Number two says that Reveli Melech. Number two. Number two. We all have predispositions. Every one of us. We are born with genetic predispositions. There's the age-old debate, nature versus nurture. There's a lot that we learn from our surroundings. We are conditioned from our family or friends. But we also have natural instinct and inclination. We have natural predispositions. Some are naturally predisposed to be patient and calm, and nothing makes them flustered. And others emerged from the womb in a fit of rage. They were already excitable. They were already dramatic. We have different predispositions. So the second level, me'artzacha was, rise above being a physical being. Mimoladescha, moladescha means from the place of your birth, it means your genetic predispositions. Just because you were predisposed to be angry and filled with rage, a fire in your belly, you're predisposed to be envious or jealous, you're predisposed to be impatient, predisposed to be stubborn, doesn't mean you're locked into those behaviors. We have the capacity to change. We have the ability to transform ourselves. We can become the people we were yet meant to be. And that is the second level. So the first level is lech lecha. You want to figure out who you are? Me'artzacha. Don't be defined by food and drink and your pursuit of physical pleasure. Enjoy the physical world, but be in control of it. Don't let it be in control of you. Number two, mimoladetcha. Don't just be the result of your genetic predisposition. Mimoladetcha. This is who I am. This is who my father was, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, my brothers, my children. This is who we are. No, there's nothing that's locking you in to be that. Lech, lecha. Go be who you were meant to be. Go be the best you were meant to be by transcending the second. And the third says the the first in the Aratzacha, the first level of Taifa, rise above impulse, compulsive behavior. Second level is from the genetic negative traits that perhaps you were born with. The third is Remez Madrega Shlishis, which is to rise above the lowliness. To be understand the greatness that we come from. That that don't just be defined by the people who gave birth to you. That's the final level. That's the last level. How many people are riding the coattails still of their parents? At Shalashudas, we spoke about Noah was the son of Lemach. In Yiddish, a Lemach is a loyutzloch. A Lemach, you'll excuse the expression, is a loser. A Lemach is an unsuccessful failure. Why was Noah's father named Lemach? Poor guy, he had no shot in school with the name Lemach. Somebody texted me, Motzei Shabbos, whose kids were at Shalashudas. Thanks, Rabbi, now my kids are calling each other Lemach. But anyway, a Lemach, a Lemach is unintended consequences of Divrei Torah, file it under unintended consequences. A Lemach is a low Yutzlach. Why was Noah's father a Lemach? Because when Lemach names his son Noah, he says, Kimi Chamti. Because you know what? Our generation's a failure. Ooh, my son. Did you hear what he got on his SATs? Did you hear what school he got into? 
Did you hear? Do you know who my son is? There are parents, if, if as a parent, if as an adult, you have no independent identity, you have no impact on the world, you leave no legacy other than living vicariously through your children, then you're a lemach. But the opposite is also true. If you're a child who has no independent identity or contribution to this world, you live off of the literal or virtual trust fund, the spiritual trust fund of a parent, all you can talk about is, yes, my father for the shas. Yes, my mother runs the chesed committee. Me? Eh, I'm a nothing. But I live off of my parent. You're also a lemach. You may not be named lemach, but me beisadicha. That's the third level that we need to transcend. So it says the normal lemach of lemach He goes on and on with this, but he says the three levels of the journey that Avram had to take towards self-discovery, to lech lecha, to figure out who he is, who he's meant to be the best version of himself, are the same ingredients. They are the same directions on the journey that we take. Don't be defined by the physical world. Enjoy it, but be in control of it. Don't feel bound and shackled by the genetic predispositions that you have. They don't define you. We can yet break through them. And thirdly, you're not just your last name. You're not just your last name. You're not just where you come from. Now they say that Yichus is an entire string of zeros, but you've got to put the one in front of it. You've got to put one in front of it. So a long string of zeros, 10 zeros, is zero. If you put a one in front of it, it's a big number. So where you come from, your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, your last name, your legacy, who you are, it's a long list of zeros. You've got to still put the one in front of it if you're going to transform that yichus into giving you an identity of who you are. Okay, look at this. We're already up to the next pasuk. <laughs> We are improving every week. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And you are going to be a bracha. What does it mean that you are going to be a bracha? So I want to share with you several interpretations of the bracha. So buckle in. We're going to see six or seven different interpretations of these words. Now the question of the bracha, why is it a question? How do you define the word the bracha? Let's prove to the people who are watching or listening that there are people in the audience. Once upon a time, there wasn't a seat available for the parsha year, as you know. We'll get there again, Baruch Hashem. So let's prove to them. No, what do the words "vayei bracha" mean? Translate. I, I promise, I'm not all alone in this room. I promise. <laughs> okay, they're laughing. Vayei bracha. Who will? You, we, it. What will be a blessing? You'll be blessed. You'll be a blessing. Why is it difficult? Why is it complicated? Because look at the Pasuk. Others will want to be blessed like you. You'll be the gold standard. Okay? The reason that this is challenging is because the Pasuk, God already said to him, Okay, so a Rebbe could repeat a bracha when he gives a bracha. But Hashem is perfect. Omnipotent, omniscient. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't have to repeat himself. So if he says, You're going to be a great nation. First of all, Great in quality, great in quantity. What does it mean to be a great nation? I'm going to bless you. What does it mean to be blessed? I'm going to make your name great. You are going to be an Instagram sensation. You are going to be the biggest influencer of all time. I'm going to make you. You're going to have the most followers ever. And so didn't we already cover everything? What's left for the definition of that is the challenges that we have to deal with. So I'm 75 years old. He's rejected a life of paganism. He has discovered Hashem, and Hashem gives him a promise. No, come aboard. I'm not giving you the destination. The destination is Lecha. I want you to figure out at 75 years, at 75 years old, 
you're just beginning, you're not done. So if you're nearing that age, at that age, or over that age, realize that Avram Avinu was just starting his life then. You're not finished, you're just getting started, your best is yet to come. Lech lecha, Avram is just discovering who he is. And he ends with, ve'yei bracha. So what does it mean? So Zok Rashi, look at Rashi, ve'yei bracha. Rashi says, ha'brachos nesunos biyadecha. The brachas are handed over to you. Ad achshav hayu biyadi. Says God, until now, I was the exclusive holder of the bracha. Someone needed or wanted a bracha, they had to come to me. They gave the kvittel to me. They handed over the cash to me. I was the lone person who gave out brachas. I blessed Adam, and so on and so forth. But now, I have given you the power, I've given you the koach of bracha. Brachas, the sunnah biyadecha, the power to bless has been given to you. Hashem empowered him to choose what and who and how and when to give a bracha. To give a bracha, I gave it to you. By the way, he gave it to all of us through Avram. The Gemara makes a very powerful statement. It says, When we give brachas to one another, don't take them lightly. The power of a bracha, of wishing well for another person, what we draw down from Shemayim, the good energy that we give, it is the exact inverse or opposite of an ayanhara. The ayanhara is that I can't forgive you. I'm not happy for you. So I draw negative energy. I put a target on your back. I ask Hashem to check into whether you really deserve this. But the, end, the, the opposite is, I give you a bracha. Birchos hedyot antiyakala be'inacha. Shumas Adeshin writes that we make a kiddush at the birth of a girl. We have a bris at the birth of a boy. We make it the kiddush at the birth of a girl. Why do we make a kiddush at the birth of a girl? Because not only do we want to express our gratitude, many reasons are given why you make a kiddush, why you, whatever event that you have in order to express gratitude and welcome the birth of that girl. He writes the Shumas Adeshin. The reason is that everyone's going to say, oh, mazel tov, nachas, she should get married, she should do Maisim Tovim, she should give you a lot of children, because it will, it will provoke, it will inspire others to give a bracha, so you have an event that people can wish you the Mazel Tov for the bracha they will give, because never dismiss, never underestimate the power of the bracha of an average person, of an average person. By the way, there are no average people. There are extraordinary people. Extraordinary people. So people line up to go get a bracha. Chankanievsky and Chassidus Shurebiz, they line up, literally in Bnei Brak, they line up, if you've been to Rebchayim, out of the apartment, down the stairs, up the block, line up all to get a buha. So many people want to get a bracha from Chaim Kanievsky. It was inefficient to say bracha v'hatzlacha. So he condensed bracha v'hatzlacha to buha. Buha, buha, buha. And it's great, Rebchayim. Sarah Torah, to get a bracha from him is unbelievable. But how do you know that the person who at the end of Shul said good Shabbos, you should have a good week, or blend, at the end of Marav on Motzei Shabbos, Abdullah said you should have a, a Parnassah Thicker Week and a Wonderful Thicker Week and a Healthy Week. Who, how do you know about that person, what they've been through, who they are, and the power of the bracha they're giving? So this bracha was given to Avram, and through Avram it was given to every one of us, and never underestimate the power of a bracha. Power of a bracha. Baba Cherebbe was a big proponent that on a person's Hebrew birthday, they are in a position to give brachas to everybody. In a person's Hebrew, it's kind of the opposite of the secular definition. On a person's birthday, everybody gives them brachas and gifts and check and Venmo and Zell and parties and balloons. And the Rebbe turns it inside out. He said, on a person's birthday, on the day that Hashem determined that the world needed you in it and renewed that contract with it, you are in a position to give everyone else a bracha. On your Hebrew birthday, you should give, next year when we zoom in, you give a bracha on your on your birthday. It is very powerful. Where do we get this power from? Ve'ye bracha. It's from, it's from Avram Avinu. Hashem said, I, I had the exclusive rights on giving brachas. I'm sharing those rights with you. 
I no longer have exclusivity. I no longer have a monopoly. Imagine parents give a child a bracha on their way out to school every morning. A bracha, what the kind of day they should have. A bracha, how they do on the test. A bracha, they get along. A bracha, that they learn well. A bracha, they have good meals. A bracha, they win their soccer game. Whatever bracha is the power of a bracha, says Rasha, yei bracha, Hashem gave that power to Avram Avinu, and through him he gave it to us. The Ramban understands differently. For the sake of time, we won't read it inside. The Ramban says that you will be the bracha through whom people make a bracha. In other words, people are going to say, may God make you like Avram. They just celebrated yesterday, I think, uh, Ambassador David Friedman launched a new initiative in Yerushalayim, Ir HaKodesh, in, in celebration and trying to expand the uh, success of the Abraham Accords. We are, this is a fulfillment of this possible Peace has been reached between nations that heretofore didn't have peace. And what's the name of this accomplishment? The Abraham Accords. Hayyei bracha. Hashem says, Avram, when they want to give a bracha, they'll say, may you be like Avram. May you be like Avram. First Hashem told Avram, I'm going to bless you. And then the like additional, the, the bracha to you on steroids, the supersized bracha that I'm giving you is, not only am I blessing you, but I'm giving you the bracha that everyone's going to want to be like you. That you will become the standard by which people live. That people will say to their children, why can't you be like Avram Avinu? I bless you, you should be more like Avram. Svarno, Rav Avadi Svarno has yet a third definition. He says, Birchas Hashem Hashem To be a blessing means give nachas to Hashem through your actions. The Hayei bracha means Hashem says, I'm giving you a bracha, give me a lot of nachas. That's like the parent sends the child out of the door and says, I'm giving you a bracha. You know what your bracha is? That you give me a lot of nachas. Not agmas nefesh, not sar gidobanim, that you give me a lot of nachas. That's my bracha to you, is that you're a source of bracha to me. That's how the Sforno understands, ve'yei bracha. So va'avarechacha, I'm blessing you, Avram. Ve'yei bracha, and you should be a source of bracha, you should be a source of nachas to me. Rav Hirsch, Rav Shamshon Hirsch, gives a, I think we're up to number four, interpretation of, you're all going to be tested afterwards, so I don't know why you're not scribbling notes. Ve'yei bracha, Rav Shamshon Hirsch says, it does not say v'hayisa bracha, or tihiyeh bracha, but heye bracha, become a blessing. And he writes Rav Hirsch, in these two words, the whole moral task is summarized. All others strive not lihiyos bracha, to be a blessing, lihiyos bruchim. Everyone else strives Everybody else wants to be a blessing. Sorry, everybody else wants to receive a blessing. Says Rav Hirsch, this bracha was that we should be a blessing. There are two ways you could live your life, where you're working hard to be blessed, or you're working hard to be a blessing. You could have both at the same time. In fact, if you spend your life trying to be a blessing, you will in fact lead a very blessed life. But there are people that want to lead a blessed life. It's all about them. They want everybody to bow down to them. They want everyone to fall in line with them. They want the world to revolve around them. They want all the material, physical pleasures in the world, all the honor and glory in the world. And they think the whole world revolves around them. They think that they deserve and they are entitled to all the blessings there are. So there are people who spend their lives in pursuit of having blessing. It says Rafersh, Hashem here tells Avram, you, your progeny, your children, the Jewish people, we have a different ambition. We have a different aspiration and goal. Our goal is not to enjoy blessing, our goal is to be a blessing, to be a blessing in other people's life. How do you know what blessing you're supposed to be? Are you supposed to head this committee or head that committee? Are you supposed to be a public person or a very private person? Are you supposed to focus on this area or that area? How do you know what, in what way you're supposed to be a blessing to others? So that goes back to the first pasuk. Lech lecha. You have to go discover who you are, what you're made of, what are your skills, what are your talents, what are your liabilities, what are you born with, what have you learned? 
What are your challenges? What are your opportunities? What are all the ingredients that make up who you are? Lech lecha. Figure out who you are. And then, heye bracha. Once you know who you are, don't worship avoda zara. Don't serve a foreign life and lifestyle that should be foreign to you. But rather, heye bracha. Lech lecha. Once you figure out who you are and who you're meant to be, then heye bracha. And our life and our life story puts us in that position to be that bracha. Some people here have gone through challenging times. And do we use that challenging time? My wife just got a text this week about Namach, a woman who lost a baby, stillbirth. And the person thought to call my wife because when we were much younger, after our second child, my wife had a stillbirth. And so she understood that all these years later, whatever you've been through in your life, bracha. you could either be miserable and uh, retreat and you could uh, turn inward with what you've been through. Or you could take what you've been through and say, that positions me to help others. Let me take my experience and let me try to help others. Not only in the negative, in the positive too. You've been blessed with opportunity and you're in a position now to teach others who've been blessed similarly. Take that and teach that. That is Lech Lecha. So that was what, four? We started with four. Let's keep going with a few more. Says the Zerah Kodesh, the Rebshetzer, of Naftali Rebshetz. He says, Be'ye Bracha. So Rashi here writes, another interpretation of Ayei Bracha, that you will be the Bracha, is So these three correspond with the three Brachas of Ayei Avram, Ayei Yitzvah, Ayei Yaakov. You might think that will end the Bracha, the first Bracha of Shemona Esri, the first Bracha of the Amida, will end invoking all three, Magen Avram Yitzchak v'Yaakov b'chachosmim. This v'heye bracha is b'chachosmim v'lo bahem. We're going to end with you and not them. How do we end the first bracha of Shemona Esrei? Magen. See, there are people here. Magen Avraham. We end the first bracha. We never have to think about these kind of things, proving to people that there are people in the room. One of the gifts of the pandemic. B'chachosmim v'lo bahem. Gemar Sachem says Hashem to Avraham, heye bracha, you're the bracha. Yeah, Yitzchak, yeah, Yaakov, Yaakov. It's true, all three are significant. We have three of us, three patriarchs. But you know what? When we end the bracha, it's on you. Magain Avraham. Hashem preserves the Avraham within all of us. Says the Holy Rabshit Tzarebbe, says the Holy Rabbi Naftali of Rabshit in the Zerah Kodesh. Perish. Sheizborach Shema Mani Golama Bechesed. Ve'af Sheizdvarim Shemirim Lano Sheinu Namidaz HaChesed. In You know, sometimes we go through life and we think, why would Hashem punish us? Why would Hashem cause this pain? Why must I endure this hardship, this challenge, this struggle? We need to know that Hashem is a kind God. He's a loving Father and everything He does comes from kindness and compassion and love. And sometimes we see that love right on the surface. Sometimes a parent gives a child a gift. Karen gives a child a hug, a snuggle. A parent Venmo's a child or sets him up on their debit card with some money. Sometimes the child feels the love of the parent directly. And other times the parent has to say to the child, taking away your technology so you do better in school. I need to give a little patch. You ran in the middle of the street. You stuck your finger in the middle of the outlet. Is that also chesed? Is that also love? 100%. It's also love, which is cloaked with rebuke, but it's really driven by love. Every way in which Hashem interacts with us is driven by that love, by that chesed. However, sometimes we don't know. Sometimes it's only after the fact that we can realize that really it was all chesed. That thing that didn't work out, that we were devastated and broken by, 
thank God it didn't work out. Had it worked out, do you know what would have happened? Sometimes we, we have to live life forward, but often we only understand life backwards. When we look at our life after the fact, in retrospect, we can try to make sense of it. So therefore we see that Hashem's signature is chesed. So that's what it means. Becha chosmin. What's the midah of Avram? Chesed. Becha. Avram, with your midah of chesed, chosmin. When Hashem ends the story, He always does it with chesed. Sometimes it's only at the end and the after fact. Sometimes it's only in retrospect. Becha chosmin. With your midah of chesed, chosmin, that's how He ends the story. It always comes back to chesed. We may not understand it, we may not appreciate it, we may not ever understand it or appreciate it in our lives and in this world. But ultimately, when we look back on our lives, we will be able to see how it was all driven and inspired by chesed. Becha, Avram, with your midah and quality, chosmim, that is how it all ends. Baruch Next, Kotzke Rebbe. What number are we up to? Six. I think the sixth interpretation of this is the new Sefer I got. Mendy Fishman, who's co-sponsored today's shoe, his daughter's getting married, to, the son is getting married tonight, got me half of these farm. So we all owe him a debt of gratitude because every time he comes down, he brings a new Sefer he thinks I need to have, and he's usually right. And then I share his beautiful Torah with you. So thank you, Mendy, for this. So the Kotzker in this new MSV Emuna, collection of the Kotzker Rebbe's teachings. The Ezchal Gadol, some of you get me Cape Cod potato chips, he gets me his farm. Baruch Hashem. Perish Rashi, Goy Gadol, Avarechacha, and so on. Yeshloma Adarach Maimar Chazal. Agimot Varma Olam Omid. I find this Kotzka very powerful. So, you ready? Listen. Listen carefully. We know the Mishnah Perkyava says that three things hold the world, three things that are a foundation for the world Torah, Avoda, and Kimunas Chasadim. What does it mean, by the way, Ha'olam Omid? Ashlosha Dvarma Olam Omid. Everybody understands. Everyone knows this Mishnah. There are three things that hold up the world Torah, Avoda, and Kimunas Chasadim. What is the Olam, the world? Like, what does that mean? Physicists have studied the world, and if we don't have Torah, Avodah, Earth is going to fall off its axis, the world's going to collapse. What, what, what does that mean? Ha'olam omeid. What does that mean? That was not a rhetorical question. What does that mean? Okay. There, there is coffee available in the back, by the way, if you have not yet woken up. You can have some coffee. So, um, Rabbeinu Yonah has, there are many interpretations, all the commentaries in the Mishnahis and others give interpretations. It does not mean the physical world. Maybe it means the merit of these three things. Others interpret that it means that it is to live with these three things. That is why God created the world. Ha'olam Omeid means the reason God created the world was to express, to learn and live Torah, and to be a life of service, avodah, and to practice chesed, loving kindness. These three, by the way, correspond with the three relationships we have in our life. I always tell you the Maharal and Perkyava says, Perkyavas is brought to us by the number three. Perkyavas is brought to you by the number three. Three all over Perkyavas. And every time you see the number three in Perkyavas, it is an allusion to the three relationships we live. Namely, Benadam Lachadero, interpersonal, everyone knows that one. Benadam La Makom, between us and God, good, everybody knows that one. And what's the third? Benadam Le Atzmo, between a person and themselves. That is the most neglected relationship in our lives and in our time thanks to technology and other things. I embrace, I love technology, which is an enormous blessing, but it also has been a curse because there's always noise. There's always background. There's always contamination. Our environment is so polluted that we, we never just be. So we don't have a relationship. We're not in conversation with ourselves, our level of self-awareness. So that third relationship in Adam is very challenging in our time. 
very important to carve out some space and create some margin to nourish and invest in that relationship. Bein adam la'atzma. So Torah avodah gemilas chasadim. You have avodah is bein adam la'makom. Gemilas chasadim bein adam la'chaveiro. And Torah is bein adam la'atzma. That's how we learn about ourselves, and that's how we can live our best selves. So we have these three things. The Mishnah in Amos. I was getting back to Olam Omer. What does it mean? The world exists. So some say it means the whole world was created for these things. I was teaching way back when I had hair. I was a young married person. We spent the summer in camp. And I was on the Chinach staff, and I was teaching a group of young middle school girls. We were learning Pirkei Avos, and I asked them, what do you think Ha'olam Omid? And a young girl said, and I love this answer, I've never forgotten it. She said, Ha'olam, every one of us is our own little world. We're all a world unto ourselves. We each are our own little world. And our world, the equilibrium, the balance of our world, the health and stability mentally, spiritually, emotionally of our world requires these three things. If Torah doesn't ground us, and if Avodah, if we don't remember with humility and faith where we come from, and if we don't care about the people around us, then our world is out of whack. We are imbalanced. Then our life is not healthy and stable. Maybe Ha'olam Ome doesn't mean the world, as in the greater world, the globe. Maybe it doesn't mean the world, as in the cosmos and the purpose of creation. Maybe it simply means, she suggested, maybe it means our world. Each of us need to have a healthy dose of Torah, Avodah, and Gemilas Chasadim every single day. Says the Katzker Rebbe, says the Helega Katzker, we know it's a Zohar, that Gimel Amudim Elum Asiachasim Gimel Hatmos HaKadoshim. The Zohar already tells us that these three things correlate with our three great patriarchs. Shecholecha Bipratos Haya Adog Bimida Achas Mimidas Elu. Avram was synonymous with Gemilas Chasadim, his tent was open on four sides, selfless, giving, caring. Yitzchak is defined by Avoda. Yitzchak was offered, prepared to be offered as a korban on the altar. Yaakov, Torah. Yaakov is the Ishtam Yoshev Olam. Yaakov Shtaig, the Masmed Yaakov, sat in the tent and learned. So says the Kotzkeru, the Esa Ketz. So you know what's going to happen when we head towards the time of the Geula, when we are reaching the end of days. What if I were trying to impress you, I would say, is the eschatological era. When we're heading towards the end of days, Yimosa Mashiach, Sha'az Yismai Torah Va'avoda Neged Doros HaKodmim. So in our time, in our generation, Yeridus HaDoros, the diminishing of the generations. So our Torah, it doesn't compare to those who came before us. Now, arguably, there's more Torah being learned than ever before. There are more yeshivas and more kolon, more seminaries, more opportunities to learn Torah than ever before in history. We have more Svarim published in more languages. Thanks to technology, we have Hundreds of thousands will hit, I'm sure, millions of shiurim online. You can listen to in any hour of the day, six days a week. There's more Torah than ever. But our knowledge of Torah and Torah's transformation of us may be less than it was. With all the technological progress, when they just had a safer and no noise, they knew it better. Avoda, our davening, our davening. I've shared many times before. My wife's grandmother's Tehillim hangs on the wall of our home. Her Tehillim is saturated with tears. It's worn out. Our bubbies. The way that they davened, they didn't understand necessarily one word. They couldn't translate. They couldn't give you seven interpretations on Ve'yei Bracha. But you know what they did do? The Tehillim moved them to tears. They moved them to tears. They were connected to the shepherd. And they spoke about, the Lord is my shepherd. Hashem ro'i lo'achsar. They felt, I'm a little sheep, but this is my shepherd. They cried over it. And we, you read this Adoros, Avoda. We, we can get 14 interpretations of every Pasuk of Tehillim. The Moskowitz gives a phenomenal Tehillim class on Thursday mornings. I highly recommend that you go in person. You're able to come back down and listen. If you can't listen online, as much as we can interpret Tehillim, but do we cry? Does the Tehillim move us the way it once did? So says the Kotzker, we have a diminishing of the generations. You read the Sadoras when it comes to Torah and Avodah. So what's left? 
You know what will be left? You know what's going to get us to the end of days? You know what's going to help us across that finish line to bring Mashiach? And that's what it means. Avram, Avram at the end, the chasimah is the end. The chasimah is the conclusion. It's the seal. You know what's going to seal the deal? You know what's going to seal the deal of bringing Mashiach, Avram? Yitzchak's Avoda and Yaakov's Torah, they're going to still be committed to it. They're going to still do it, but it's going to be less than the generations that came before. Do you know in what area they're going to thrive and surpass the earlier generations? Chesed. And they're not, Baruch Hashem, are we not seeing that? We have the ability to do, first of all, in ways you couldn't before. If you lived in Europe in different cities, a, a five-day wagon ride from the next city, you were limited in the chesed you could do to the local people that you interacted with. Today, chesed is global. It's global. Somebody launches a charity campaign, a matching campaign. In hours, they can raise enormous money to spare a family, to save a home from, from people being kicked out, to put food on people's table. The beaker cholim that's going on in hospitals, whatever your opinion of satmer, hashkafically, you agree, you disagree, you like, you don't like, you've never seen anything until you've seen the satmer beaker cholim in the hospitals of Manhattan. You've never seen anything until you've seen that. Bechachosmum, Avram, Avram says Hashem, when the generations will wane, when the Torah won't be what the Torah once was, when the Avoda won't be what the Avoda once was, Becha, in your midah of chesed, chosmim. What will seal the deal and what will get you across the finish line is the midah of chesed. The gemilas chasadim. You know, when, when last Monday, WhatsApp was down for several hours, it wasn't just that we couldn't send cute gifs and memes and, you know, communicate in our family chats. The chesed couldn't be coordinated. We had shiva minyanim that we needed to make sure that each one had a minion, meals that needed to be arranged, things that needed to be done. Technology has enabled us to supersize the chesed that we perform, the chesed that you do. So I think that is the last one. So what do we see? I think eight interpretations of the heyei bracha, b'cha chosmen, why Avram is called out. Okay, so now that we've introduced the shir, we are ready to begin. Parak yud beis, pasuk yud beis. Skip the pasuk yud beis. Page 56. We're even turning a page this week. What happens? There's a famine in the land of Ba'aretz. There's a famine in the land of Israel, which the Helega Hasidish Tzvon talk about. Is this a famine for food? Or is this a famine, a spiritual famine, with a, a foreboding of the spiritual famine in our time? Not for now. There's a famine in the land. And Avram goes down to where can food be found in now, why is food accessible in Mitzrayim and it's not found in Israel? What does Israel depend on that Egypt is not? The rain. Israel depends on the rain. Has it rained yet this year? In Israel. A little bit of rain? Just very little. We daven. We give a bracha. A birchas hedyot. That it should rain. It should rain at night while they sleep. But enough rain for Israel to be able to flourish and not have a drought. Israel relies on the rain. By design, Israel relies on the rain. Because when you rely on the rain, really, whom are you relying on? Hashem. So... By setting up a system by design that causes you to rely on rain, it promotes a deeper relationship with Hashem. Egypt has the Nile. Egypt has the Nile. And therefore, you have less of a relationship with Hashem because you think you're in control. Paro thought he was a god because he controlled the Nile. And the Nile controlled the economy. But Paro was not a god. And what did he have to do? Like every other human being, he had to relieve himself. And where did he go relieve himself? At the Nile. All non-coincidental. When Avram and Lot split in our parsha, Lot is drawn to the Nile to Egypt, and Avram is drawn to Israel. Why? Because Lot is drawn to a world of 
self-sufficiency, independence, power, feeling you're in control of your own economy. And Avram says, no, no, I submit and surrender to him. He's in charge. He's in control. I want to live that life. So Eretz Yisrael and Mitzrayim are not just geographic locations. They are symbols of what they represent, different attitudes and approaches to life, which is why the Torah in three places tells us we are forbidden to live in Mitzrayim. Jews are not allowed to go back and live in Egypt. Let's give a whole Shabbos to go to Joshua about it, because we talked about how the Rambam, the Radvaz, Rabbi Yosef, how many great rabbis lived in Egypt, that's a violation of this halacha. How did they do that for another time? But Egypt and Israel, Israel and Mitzrayim, are not just geographic locations, they are representative of attitudes or approaches to life. So Avram has to leave Eretz Yisrael and go down to Mitzrayim, because the famine was very heavy. And when he gets there, he turns to his wife Sarai. I do not suggest you try this at home. He turns to his wife Sarai and he says, Ha! Ha! You know how long we're married? Do you know what number anniversary this is? I never noticed that you're pretty. I didn't get your picture on the resume before we went out. And, uh, you know, I'm a big shiobach. I didn't even look at you over the Diet Coke in the lobby. And since we're married, you know, I'm Avram Avinu. That's the first time I'm really looking at it. I never noticed. I never noticed. All those times I said, you said, I never really meant it. I never noticed. I never noticed how pretty you are. What's going on over here? Never noticed how pretty you are? Like I say, don't try that at home. Listen to the Ben Ishchai. Listen to the Ben Ishchai. When you see a beautiful person, beautiful woman, you can say, you know why she's beautiful? The makeup, the jewelry, the Photoshop, the makeup artist, the shaital artist, every artist, they're artists today. It's not just makeup, you don't just apply, you're an artist. So it's the makeup artist. Look at the artwork they created, this beautiful person. They're not really intrinsically inherently beautiful. Like the canvas isn't beautiful. An empty canvas isn't beautiful by the time the artist is done. What a beautiful piece of artwork. So, you know, honey, I never noticed. You are a beautiful piece of artwork. So a person can be beautiful for one of two reasons. They can have a natural beauty, an inherent, internal, natural beauty, or they can clean up nicely, for lack of a better description. You can dress them up nicely. You can use them as a canvas for a beautiful art. So what's the test? How do you know if someone's beauty is natural or if someone's beauty is applied? How do you know? You know how you know? When the flight from Israel lands in the airport and you come out of customs. You know whether the beauty is natural or whether... Am I in trouble? My, you, you, my sister's beautiful naturally, always was, always will be. Right off the plane, my daughter... The women who came from Israel to celebrate with us this week, their natural beauties. That's the Ben Ishchai. The test of whether someone's beauty is natural or is applied, so to say, is what happens at the end of a long, arduous, difficult journey. You're tired, you're exhausted, you had no ability to keep it up. You did not take the art, the uh, makeup artist with you. you. You don't have that close-up mirror like you have at home. You don't have that fine lighting. You don't have the entire, I don't know what's in there, hundred of the same thing. Makeup chest that you have at home. And the, the journey itself puts bags under your eyes. The journey itself makes you look exhausted, tired, and spent. And if the person continues to look beautiful even at the end of such a journey, that is the evidence that their beauty is natural. 
אך כשהיא בבעבר מאחר שהאוכל כל דרך למצרים, וראש אף ירב ולא נשתנה כלל, הנה בזה היקר שהיופי מצד עצמו. That's what Avram of Avram always knew she was beautiful. He complimented her beauty. It's not the first time he's noticing she's beauty. It's how much that beauty is natural and how powerful that beauty is, that that beauty is so powerful that it can overcome and supersede the trials and travails of the long journey. That's what the Pasuk means, says the Ben Ishchai. They always stayed local. They never traveled internationally before. This is the first time they've ever taken a long flight. First time Avram sees Sarah at the end of a very long flight. And he says to her, even at the end of the long flight, even as they're handing out that washcloth, which burns your hands and wipes your face, she wipes her face, return that uh, washcloth, that uh, wet or whatever. And he says, wow, still beautiful. You're as beautiful as when we, you're as beautiful as when we were waiting at the gate. I never noticed. I never noticed. And that's what's going on. It says the Ben Ishchai here in this, in this Pasuk. That's what he is saying to her. That's what he's saying to her. Okay, that is the Ben Ish. That is the Ben Ishchai. The Bashemtov has an alternative interpretation. Listen to what the Bashemtov says. Bashemtov says the following. Says the Bashemtov. Was Avram, he didn't look at pictures of women. He was so machmir. Not only did he not look at pictures of women, he didn't look at his own wife. Is that what's going on here? That he never noticed her beauty? That's the first compliment her now? See, Avram only cared about Midas Tobos. Avram only ever saw Sarah's neshama. He only ever saw Sarah's neshama. He wasn't attracted to her, to her, um, to her physical appearance. So what changed? What happened now? What happened now? You know, let me just give a two-second editorial commentary and rail against one of my hangups about the pictures on resumes and how you can't tell from a picture. Someone in the community recently told me they went to a singles event, an older single went to a singles event, and uh, they saw, oh, he saw a woman there, and he wasn't, didn't, was not physically attracted to her, so in his mind, she was not a candidate for him, but he met her through the event nonetheless, and she was someone who had certain questions, needed certain help in life, and he was happy to try to help her, so they met up for coffee to try to help her afterwards, even though there was no potential romantic relationship because he had no attraction to her, but he was happy to help her with the thing he was an expert in that she needed help with, so they met for coffee. And what do you think happened? They met for coffee again, and they met for dinner, and then he helped her, and all of a sudden this woman he had no attraction to became the most beautiful thing in the world to him, and he thinks that she's the one because she's so beautiful. Had her picture been on a resume, he actually saw her in person and rejected her in his mind, but only once he got to know her and connected with her in a deeper way did he realize that attraction is relative and subjective. And the attraction to the panemius of a person influences how drawn and attracted we are to the chitzonius of that person. Okay, end of my commentary. I have a lot more to say about that, but for another time. So come back to Avram Avinu. Says the Baal Shem Tov, says the Heliga Baal Shem, says Avram was always attracted to Sarah's neshama. He sat with her, the external, the superficial, the physical appearance. Avram had no interest in a, in a picture on a resume. He didn't Google her image. He didn't look. He didn't care. All he ever saw was his neshama, her neshama. So what happened? What's going on now? So listen to what the Baal Shem Tov says. All of a sudden he says, I feel this awareness of your external beauty. I've always been drawn to your neshama. Your external beauty is a given. Everyone looks at you and says, you're beautiful, but that's not what draws me. That's not the source of my attraction. Source of my attraction has always been your neshama. Why all of a sudden am I feeling physically attracted? 
So you know what the reason was? Because he was leaving Eretz Yisrael, the place of spirituality, and he was on his way. He said, we've prepared for your initial landing. And when he's preparing for the initial landing, he looks out the window and he sees Mitzrayim. He's going to a place of lewdness, licentiousness, promiscuity, more depravity and corruption. All of a sudden, Avram realizes, because we are all influenced from the energy of where we are, he's going to a place where the energy is the energy of Tumah. And the Makam, the place that we're in, has the ability to lower us from the level that we were on. So now he understood, well, if I'm physically attracted and I'm drawn to her, this is a place of Tumah that doesn't see Neshamas. This is a place that doesn't, is not attracted to the beauty of the Neshama. This is a place in which they flaunt and reveal and expose and worship and celebrate the goof, the body. He says, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Because it turns out I'm married to someone who's very beautiful. And now he realizes only now. When he was in a place that was all about the neshama, he felt safe and secure in being her husband. But he's going to a place which is all about the physical beauty. And now by being in that place, he becomes aware of his attraction to that physical beauty. Now, therefore, he realizes he might be in trouble. And that's why he uh, concocts this whole scheme with with Sarah. Okay, moving right along. Perakir, Gimel, Pasuk, Base. I know we're not flushing out any of these stories Comprehensively, they deserve a greater treatment, but I'm trying to give a cross section from the Torah from across the parsha. Page 58, He finishes the whole episode in Mitzrayim, where he departs safely, still intact with his wife. He and his wife and everything they have. And he goes with his nephew Lot, and they're heading to the south of Israel. And Avram is Kaved. What is the word Kaved? Heavy. What does that mean? Avram ate too much shawarma in Egypt? But Avram kaved mo. He ate too much in Egypt? What happened to Avram in Egypt? No. The Pasuk itself tells us. What is he heavy? What is he weighed down with? Ba-mekneh, ba-kasef, uva-zahav. Says the Hedagonomalimela. What could or should have the Pasuk said? It means to tell us what? That Avram amassed an enormous amount of wealth. When he was in Egypt, he extraordinary, extraordinary riches, wealth. He got in on Bitcoin early and got out in time. Avram was a great investor. He invested in the market. He bought houses on Montoya Circle before the boom. He understood. Avram was, he was Kaved Ma'od. So, but Kaved is not the word for rich or wealthy. What should it have said? Ashir. Avram was Ashir Ma'od. Avram had an enormous amount of wealth. Why does it say Kaved? Kaved means heavy. So says the normal mouth back to Rabbi Michael Vizinsk. Hatzade kishen nishba lo shefa meyakolish baruchu misyari maod. Vodachinu misgaber Yosef ba'avodas Hashem. Vizem hashakosut kan ba'avim kaved maod ba'mikne shahayol lemasa mashishbilo shemizbarch mikne kesev bezov v'yelech lemasa av dahinu l'shor show. Avram was weighed down by the fact that he was so wealthy. Some people have great wealth; they have enormous blessing, and they don't understand it comes with great responsibility. They don't understand that they are now going to be challenged, whether they will be defined by their wealth or be defined by their neshama and by their spiritual contributions to the world. Now, I know what many of you are thinking right now. Test me like you tested Avram. Bring it on, Hashem. I'm ready for it. I'm happy to... It's not so simple. There's a great expression. It's a sad expression, but there's a great expression. Have you ever heard it? Nebuch, there are some people so poor that all they have is money. Have you ever heard Nebuch? There are some people so poor that all they have is money. I know several extraordinarily wealthy people 
who have physical wealth, but they are impoverished in other areas of life, in their self-esteem, in their interpersonal relationships, in their family, in their lack of nachas, in their living in doubt, who has a real relationship with them and why do they have that relationship, the burden of maintaining and sustaining and distributing all that money. Avram understands the enormous responsibility of that money. And that if Hashem blessed him, it wasn't random and it wasn't chance, but it's because there's a reason. There's a reason he's in that position to have that wealth. And understanding the responsibility, the awesome responsibility of being the steward of that wealth for Hashem, it weighed heavily on Avram. Says the Noam Elimelech, that wealth weighed heavily. That's why the Pasuk doesn't say that he was wealthy. The Pasuk says that the wealth weighed heavily on him because he understood that responsibility. He understood that responsibility. Ooh, we have time for one or two more. Which ones should we do? There are such good ones here. Okay, we'll skip to one more. Oh, such good ones here. I was going to tell you how to make a proper l'chaim. Do you first make the l'chaim and then you say the bracha and take a sip? Or do you take the bracha and make a sip and then say l'chaim? Who do you bless first, Hashem or the person in front of you? It's all from our parsha. Believe it or not, they're poskim. I have a whole packet of source sheets here. I have uh, nine sources. There are chulas about the proper way to make a l'chaim. We're not glorifying drinking in moderation, responsibly, for those who can or should. But if you're enjoying a nice l'chaim, what is the proper method or mode of a l'chaim? Do you say l'chaim and then make a bracha and take a sip? Or do you make a bracha and take a sip and then offer the l'chaim to whomever you're making the l'chaim? It comes from our parsha and interaction that Abraham had and that he was held accountable for, but we don't have time for that one. So we're going to go to a different one. Got to bring you back next year, Parshas Lech Lecha. Let's just end with one insight of Rabbi Soloveitchik. One insight of Rabbi Soloveitchik. Go to, I didn't give the answer. Go to Parakid Zion Pasagalaf. Long Parsha. Skip from chapter 13 to 17. Parakid Zion Pasag Yeralaf. Top of page 74. It says, Ani Kel Shakai. God introduces himself to Avram and he says, Ani Kel Shakai. I am the Almighty God. What is this name that he's using with Avram? Ani Kel Shakai. Yud Zayin Aleph, not Yud Aleph. Yud Zayin Aleph, I apologize. Go back a page. Perikid Zayin Pasakal. Vayam Avram Metishim Shalom Teshashanim. 99 years old. Vayir Hashem Avram God appeared to him and he said, Good to see you. Nice to see you again. Let me remind you. Ani Kel Shakai. I am Kel Shakai. His salach lafanai always walk before me. Be yisamim and be tamimistik, be tamima, be tamim, be whole, be complete, be a complete person, be a pure person. What is this name that he uses to introduce himself to God? So Rishalavichik writes: The Medrash Brachas Rabbah records how prior to his circumcision, Avram mingled with others and gathered many adherents. When Hashem commanded him to become circumcised, Avram was concerned that an insurmountable barrier would be placed between him and his neighbors. Hashem said, "Dayecha, it is sufficient for you that I'm your God. Don't worry what others are going to think." Don't worry, you're going to be embarrassed or ashamed. Don't worry, they won't let you into their medical school or their law school. Don't worry, they won't let you into their country club. Don't worry, you won't break into the social scene. You don't need them. Dayecha, all you need is me. Ani kel shakai. Invest in a relationship with me and you have everything that you need. Of course, we want relationships with others. And of course, we contribute and benefit from the beauty of what society has to offer. But says Hashem, don't worry about any doors that close in your life because dayecha. The door to me will always be open, and that's all you need. Dayacha. Hashem assured Avram by explaining that if one relationship has a relationship with God, then one needs no one else to obtain fulfillment. 
Hashem in essence responded to Avram, you may lose others, but you'll never lose me. The name Shaddai is explained by Rashi is Ani Hu Shi I am he whose divinity is enough for every creature. At first, Avram thought that his mandate was to convert the entire world. His mission was primarily a universal one. As the father of the multitude of nations, Avram traveled through large segments of the civilized world to a spread monotheism. He thought that he would complete the process of his lifetime, but Hashem told him, die, enough, suggesting a limit to the expansion of Avram's circle of followers, a limitation that would result in his circumcision. So this name refers to this concept, die, anikel shadai. I am the one who dayacha, it's enough, that you have me. And I will add on to Rabbi Salavechik. I put out a video last week. We started a new series called Behind the Mitzvah. And we did a video on mezuzah. And I mentioned in that short three-minute video that on the outside of our mezuzah, and the inside of mezuzah is Shema. And there are themes. Kabbalah Samachu Shemaim, we submit and surrender to God. Via Hafta. In other words, the mezuzah is on the doorpost of our home and the important places of our life. And we're meant to walk by it and drawn by the themes that are in it. We're supposed to draw from those themes that are in it. That's why the Ramah quotes that you touch it. The idea of kissing them is that it doesn't have a source. It is a source in transmitting germs. It is a source of transmitting germs. But the Rambam and the Ramah, when they quote the idea that when you walk by, you touch the mezuzah. You touch the mezuzah. When you touch the mezuzah, it's meant to touch you. How should it touch you? On the way into your home, you remember via hafta. You remember the theme of love. You remember the spirit of compromise. But when you roll up that mezuzah, what's on the outside of the scroll that's supposed to face out when you put it in the case? Shin Dalad Yud. This name of God, we pronounce it Shakai Shaddai. Why? So I suggested because maybe when you walk into your home, you remember the concept of Dayecha, of Dayenu. Whatever I have, I have enough because I have Him. But when I walk through the threshold of this home, when I go into my home, I don't see what's missing. My neighbor has a nicer car in the driveway. My nicer neighbor has a nicer home. My neighbor has bigger lighter. My neighbor has more silver. My neighbor has more things. My neighbor has an updated phone. My neighbor has. Don't look at what anyone else has. Shaddai. Sha'amar Dai, who said it's enough, is the source of having enough. And if we have him in our home with us, if we have a home that has Hashem in it with us, then Tayacha. It is enough and it is all we need. A lot more ideas we didn't get to, but have a fantastic day tomorrow. Tomorrow, living with Amun is going to be 9.45, not 8.45. So please note, we are in person in the Svartak Shul. So we will be in person, women's living with Amun in person, with coffee and water and a granola bar. And whatever leftovers from the bris that will take place. So 9.45 in the Sephardi section. Tomorrow night we're going behind the beam. We're back. Our opening guest tomorrow night is the great Avram Fried. You don't want to miss a great conversation with Avram Fried. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.